scripture today is John 17, verse 9 through 18. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded, guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. All right. Good morning, folks. Good to be with you all. Um, a lot of you were here last week, but many were not. We have folks out of town this time of year, and I know we've had a whole lot of people sick. I feel like, like this is the, the fullest it's been in a while. I don't know, it just feels really good today. A lot of people back and healthier and back in town and that kind of thing, and I'm looking forward to you know, just blowing the walls off at some point. So last week, we introduced our new theme for um, 2022, which is uh, scent, being a scent people. Loving the world like God loved us. This is uh, yet another riff off of 1 John 4.19 or an application of this verse that says, I, and we think it captures in many ways the whole, the whole gospel story in a sense. If you unpack each of the phrases, we love because God first loved us. And so we're going to be talking about taking our love beyond the borders of our own relationship, beyond the church, and taking it into the, the community at large. People who don't know the Lord yet, taking it into the world, loving the world like God has loved us, being a sent people. Um, the text that was just read, that Charlie just read, was an excerpt from the 17th chapter of John's Gospel. And that chapter records a, a prayer of Jesus, a very long prayer. That was just an excerpt that he read. It's actually about twice that long. And it's a long prayer uh, from Jesus to God the Father on behalf of His disciples. Not only His immediate 12, but any disciples who would be made by their efforts and the efforts of those who responded to those efforts on down through the generations, through the ages, down to this very day. So it's a prayer for us in many ways. And um, in my English Standard Version, the heading over that, you know how the, the translators will put little headings? They're not in the original text, but it's their take on like what this next chunk of text is about. Mine is labeled the high priestly prayer. You ever seen it called that? It's high priestly in the sense that Jesus is interceding like a bridge between God and, and these people, his disciples, on their behalf. And um, what he is, he, it says in John 17, uh, verse 6, that he's praying basically this whole prayer on behalf of, quote, the people whom you have given me out of the world. The people whom you have given me out of the world. He's praying for them. That's us. 
The called out. Another word for that is the, is the word church, which literally means called out. Called out ones. The ones assembled from the world uh, and, and gathered around and to Jesus. In John 17, 18, the other verse you see on our theme for the year, on these banners around the building, on our website, John 17, 18, which comes from this high priestly prayer, Jesus says something about his followers that is very relevant to modern day Christ followers. Um, as we turn our focus to mission, to evangelism, to outreach in 2022. And here it is. As you sent me into the world, he prays to the Father, Jesus does. As you sent me, Father, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I'm sending my disciples into the world in the same way, Father, that you sent me into the world. We're replicating the mission of Jesus. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be someone who is sent. It's not an optional thing. It's not like, well, some people are sent people, others aren't. There's all kinds of Christians. Some go, some don't. No, if you're a disciple, then by definition, you're a sent person. And so we now have to take it the next step out. It's all driven by the love of God. He initiates the whole Bible. God's the main character of the Bible. God's the main character of Genesis, as we've said many times. He does all these things in the world and on behalf of the world, in spite of the world, in spite of the crown of the creation, us. We've botched it in every way. He comes into that world in love, out of love, to save it, to rescue it, and invites us to be a part of that mission. And so um, we have to imitate him in this. As he was sent, as Jesus was sent, so we are sent. So that raises this question. What does it mean to be sent like Jesus? What, is, what, is, what are the dimensions of that? What are the, the characteristics associated with that? What, that? That's what I want to look at over the next few weeks in, in, um, in my sermons, is to sort of investigate this question uh, of what it means to be sent like Jesus and to use some of the phrases, some of the language of John 17, as our lens into that question, into that topic what it means to be sent like Jesus. Um, because if we're going to be sent like Him, we need to know what that looks like. In what way was Jesus sent? In what manner was He sent? How did He come into the world and to what end? All right? What did that look like uh, practically in the case of Jesus? And therefore, what should it look like in the case of ourselves as we take on this mantle of being a sent people? So when Jesus came into the world, how did he come? You know, he was sent by the Father, and he came. He didn't say, no, I'm not going to. God says, I'm sending you, and he says, okay. He, count, he comes into the world. How did he come into the world? What we're going to do this morning, something we've referred to before, but I don't know that I've amplified it too much, is to look at the three purposes for which the Gospels tell us the Son of Man came. A few times in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're told the Son of Man, a phrase for Jesus that comes out of the book of Daniel originally, prophecy in the book of Daniel back in the Old Testament, we're told that the Son of Man came to something or for something, or in some manner. There, there's this, this phrase three different times, three different purposes. It's, it appears five or six times because the Synoptics you know, use it in different ways, but there's basically three, um, I guess, adverbial phrases uh, that modify how he came in the Gospels. Wasn't that a good way to like start talking about what it means to be sent like Jesus? How did he come into the world? 
We're going to take the three times we're told the Son of Man came this morning and ask some questions. And I want you to participate as the, the email primer uh, asks you to do, if, if you have any thoughts on this. All right? So we're going to look at this phrase, and we're going to use that as kind of our outline for this morning. We're going to have more to say about being sent like Jesus in subsequent weeks, but today let's examine these three purpose statements to cast light on what it would mean to be sent like Jesus. And the first thing we read is this. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You'll find that in you know, Matthew 2, Matthew 18, I think, uh, as well, but it says the same thing. So let's use the Luke version here. This is one of the three reasons we're told, or purposes for which, the Son of Man came, or was sent, into the world. So, how would you character... That's not how it looked on my screen. I'm, I'm overly annoyed, too annoyed, when a thing is centered and there's one word below it, part of the sentence. It drives me crazy. I, I want it to look... I don't know. It freaks me out visually. That's not how it looked on my screen. So it's a, a font transfer or something. Anyway, you get the point. The question, how would you characterize Christ's mission? Or another way of putting that is, what kind of mission was it? Based on the text we just read. He, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So if you were going to put that in your own words, how would you characterize that? What would you say you know, about that mission? What's the essence of it? A rescue mission. Anybody have anything else? David says it's a rescue mission. Yeah, Nikki? Uh, I actually thought about this this morning in our family Bible class. Here comes a mic. Oh, mm -hmm. um, when we were reading Genesis 127, I was noticing all of the kind of Christ pulling back to that verse almost of mm -hmm. being fruitful and multiplying, how mm -hmm. that could really be talking about our mission to be fruitful, mm -hmm. um, which applies to the fruit of the Spirit, sure. and multiply. So sure. to go out and to multiply our, um, our fish. I mean, it mentions multiple things in this verse mm -hmm. that could go back to our call to be sent. Sure. And Jesus, you know, the whole vine and the branches, the whole thing is to bear fruit. Um, you know, when, in Genesis, we probably think mostly about, like, he's, he wants the earth to team with, with creatures. But I think we make some bigger differences sometimes than God does between, well, that's physical, that's spiritual. God made it all. And it all needs to thrive. So the ultimate part of it is the relationship with God part. So our fruit should look like the Spirit's fruit. It should look like the fruit of Jesus, you know, as vine re replicates the, the main stalk of the plant and so on. So those are great points. Um, David and I did not confer beforehand, so he gets the prize today. He gets the gold star. It's our, it, you know, however your brain would read this is fine. This is not, uh, this is putting our own words. But when you say you come to seek and to save somebody, doesn't that sound like a rescue mission? I mean, think about when somebody is, uh, we were talking, um, I think it was Randy and Daniel maybe recently, somebody was kind of nerding it up on the story of, uh, was it you, the Chilean? the Chilean miners yeah or you know remember that story about in, in those Chilean miners that were down there and the whole world's watching as a rescue mission is mounted or the one in uh, was it Cambodia or Thailand you know and they had to go way back in there and Elon Musk said he was going to solve it and all that you, 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 you these people do you think they just get up one day and go ah we'll figure it out no there's like they're planning their game they're getting out maps and all kinds of you know whatever tech they have um, gear 
there's all sorts of, of planning and, you know, uh, urgency that is involved. In, people are about to die. They're lost. We need to seek them out and we need to save them. That's why the Son of Man came. And we are being sent like He is. Second question. What implications does this have for our being sent into the world? Any thoughts on this? So David says it changes our attitude about it. Yeah. How so? If somebody is, I always think Coast Guard guys, mm -hmm. you know, your main purpose is to go get them what they need mm -hmm. and not just, well, dummy, what'd you go out there like that for? Right. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we have the gospel and we have you know, what God has given us and we understand sin, that we just kind of, I don't know, expect other people to just kind of figure it out. Yeah. And, and we, we don't have the compassion we need to have. That's a great point about compassion. Whenever, I have that feeling every time I see somebody. I haven't seen it lately, but the first few years we lived up here, um, you know, when we were getting the Raleigh uh, local news things, um, it seemed like every, every, every minute there was some kayaker or canoeer trapped in the Haw River in a flood stage. Like, ah, oh, good rapids, let's go. Well, it's, yeah, there's good rapids. It's a flood. And then the Coast Guard, there's helicopters, not the Coast Guard, but, you know, people risking their lives to get them. You remember that? There's just always a story. And I w my first thought was always, I'm just going to confess, like, you dummy, you brought it on yourself. Like, what are you doing that for? But couldn't we all say that? Couldn't God say that to every one of us before Jesus came in? What did we not bring on ourselves? All your big problems, you brought on yourself. And so it's sort of playing the devil's game to start parsing out, well, they didn't deserve this person. There's always an assumption there that I don't deserve my bad stuff. You deserve your bad stuff. And we all, and, and the, 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 you know, 98%, the part that matters eternally, we all have sinned and fall short of God. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of compassion that's needed, and, and we need to start thinking more about that as we think about, we're, we're sent like He is. We're to mimic his mentality toward the mission, seeking and saving the lost. Randy? Yeah, that infinitive to seek is a very active verb. Mm -hmm. You know, like it doesn't conjure up, it, it, it makes you think of, well, if you're seeking something, it's kind of hard. It, something is not clearly visible mm -hmm. or easy to find. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, the most obvious implication, or the, the most obvious thing that this harkens back to Jesus is that he didn't, he, he he came down. He got mm -hmm. in the manger. He got, you know, in the dirt. He yeah. hung out with the lepers. But even just beyond the, the incarnation, it's not like he just kind of set up a tent and said, okay, come one, come all. If mm -hmm. you want to, come find me. It, he was always on the move and going mm -hmm. to, you know, back alleys and crazy places and Samaria. Mm -hmm. And that, that verb, to seek and save the lost, um, I don't know, that, that seeking just makes it sound very, it's just not passive. Yeah, it's an very active. active thing. 100%. Yeah, I, I, I saw this movie one time with Don Addis. Some of you know Don, lives up in the mountains now, but we went to this movie called Black Hawk Down. Anybody see that? And it's about, it was based on a true story of, I don't remember what unit or whatever, but these soldiers, I think they were army guys, I can't remember, but going into this horrible situation in Somalia and this, uh, this town where there were American soldiers captured and they were almost certainly going to die. 
and there were injured people, and they could have just gone, you know what? If we, you could have done that calculus, which I'm, I'm sure is on every battlefield. Like, we may risk more lives by going in there, but their mentality was nobody gets left behind. And I, I, I think of Jesus with that. Like, the word became flesh, came into this mess. Not at risk to himself. He knew how it was going to end for him. And I wonder if we have that kind of urgency and compassion and, you know, intentionality about our rescue mission that we're all being called to. The next one is this. Um, the second Son of Man came passage comes from Matthew eleven nineteen. Remember, there's three times this is said about God. What did Jesus come here for? Three answers in the Gospels in terms of using the, the, the Daniel language of Son of Man. The Son of Man came, Matthew 11 says, eating and drinking. Well, that's weird. I thought it was about saving people. That sounds so mundane. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's the Jewish Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord. He's the Creator, John 1 says. In the beginning was the Word. Nothing was made that was not made without Him. All that. Same being is now this dude from, he's a Jewish guy, right? He had features, he had hair, he had clothing. He, he, people could go, that's not Jesus, that's, that's Michael, that's Jim. There's Jesus, I know him. He's an actual human. It's more than that. But he, he, he sort of, you know, this divine logos implodes down into this one being, a baby, who grows up and eats and drinks with people. So much so that it says in Matthew 11, that's, that's what he came to do. And if you read the Gospels, you, man, Jesus is never not eating with people. Now, he gets a lot of criticism from whom about this? The people he's sitting down with, the publicans and sinners? No, they come out of the woodwork to eat with him. Who criticizes him? All the religious people. And they're not religious liberals. They're not loosey-goosey people. They're the Pharisees and scribes. They're the right-wing tight people. They're the guardians of purity. They're keeping all the, they're culture warriors. They're keeping all the riffraff out or trying to. Roman pagan influence. Let's purify this place. Let's make it sound. And they have problems with Jesus. How many of our churches would not accept Jesus? Unless he came with the label, I'm actually Jesus. Right? He didn't come, he wasn't expect, he didn't do the expected things. He, he ate and drank with sinners a lot. And so I want to raise this question for us to talk about for a second. Given this passage, what else was Jesus trying to accomplish in the way he came into the world? Why do that? Don? This is going to be good because Don had his hand up before I said, given this passage. This is my favorite. Oh, I love it. No judgment, I'm just saying. Uh, I am clearly a fan of eating, and so the <laughs> fact that that's one of the things he came doing is it really speaks to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, especially within the like, first century Jewish context, eating and drinking with somebody, it was a sign of accepting. It was mm-hmm. a sign of um, uh, identifying with the people you shared a meal with, right. and so this idea, like he's trying to accomplish that there's... I won't almost say equality amongst the people that everyone has value. He he lowered himself to identify with the 
the worst amongst the worst mm -hmm. and to say that you have value, that you mean something, that this fellowship, he came to, to fellowship with us. I mm -hmm. mean, this, the whole idea is fellowship and, yep. and, and sharing, you know, God of the universe condescending to become man and to eat a meal with you. Right. Great point. And then Michael? Appreciate it, Nick. Burning off his breakfast. <laughs> so the first thing I think of is, is that he was illustrating he really was one of us. He was not just one of us doing the same thing we were doing, but he was joyfully doing it together with us. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. was, it was joy all bound up into the, the visiting, the fellowship, the eating and the drinking, it, all of that. The, he, he, he was happy and liked doing fun things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is where Jake, if you remember one of the, uh, all the good stuff in our mission class that had anything to do with spiritual disciplines was from Jake, by the way. I get no credit for that. And it's, it was awesome addition to our class. So I want to echo what Daniel said about uh, Jake and Jacqueline. But if you remember, we did one, one discipline that Jake brought into our class was the discipline of celebration, knowing how to, like, have joy. Like, that's not wrong. It's actually a kind of pagan Gnostic idea to see anything that's fleshly as evil and all spirit is good. That dichotomy, that's a Greek pagan idea that has a long pedigree, going all the way back to Plato in some ways. It's radically different for, the, the, for Yahweh, the God of the Jews and, and Christians, in Genesis 1 to say, I made things and it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. What are we going to do forever and in eternity? Isaiah 25 says, eat with God in a banquet. Marriage feast of the Lamb, Jake quoted from Revelation 19, picks that up. I'm not saying that's the only thing in the Bible, but when Jesus sits down to eat with all these people that the rest of the world thought were riffraff, he's kind of like, it's a sign of the kingdom. It's a sign of the new heavens and new earth. It's not sinful to, to enjoy that with people and to show them they matter, right? Um, Jake, do you remember off the top of your head, and I'm going to get Daniel, that quote, something about, um, it, I don't remember who said it, but it was a really cool quote about hospitality, and the goal of it is not so people leave thinking, your place looks great, but it's something like that. There you go. And I, I just tie that into what Don just said. How many people sat down with Jesus, you know, after the call of Matthew, the tax collector, who the Jewish rabbis just despised? And they've like got somebody paying attention to him and saying, you know, there's hope for you. Follow me. And he's, you know, eating with them. Pass the hummus, you know, whatever they were having. I don't know. And just, you know, their hands are all there together. It's so enfleshed. It, talk about incarnation. Daniel? I think it's a, um, a false dichotomy to, to think that seeking and saving and uh, eating and drinking are separate things. Right. The eating and the drinking are a part of the seeking and saving. I mean, you know, we're not like, you know, you know, long-haired pointer dogs who like go out and be like, found it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, our, our goal is not to just identify sinners. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to identify with them and then do the thing that Jesus did, which was eat and drink with them right. um, to form relationship to ultimately to, to a broader goal. Um, right. But, you know, they're 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 not safe, separate. These are overlapping uh, parts of who Jesus is and what he came to do. No, great point. And just to be clear, Jesus doesn't just eat and go, good deal. You're all good. He's calling them to follow him. So it isn't just that. It's just to think of it as two. That's a good way to put it. It's not dichotomized, but they they 
they go together, but we do need to talk about Jesus with people and his lordship and the fact that we're sinners and need him. It's not just, hey, isn't this good food? See ya. You know. Yeah. Uh, Greg. Yeah, I was sitting here thinking before Daniel uh, just said what he did. That what I see here is two different things. We're, we're seeing Jesus, why Jesus came to seek and to save. Mm -hmm. And then how did he go about doing that? Right. That's that where the eating and the drinking came in. Mm -hmm. yep. know, that's how he's going to, part of how he's going to accomplish sure. that mission no. is by eating and drinking. Very and good. then you're talking about this, um, you know, the celebration and whatnot. And I'm thinking back in the old law, how many feast days there were mm -hmm. in the old law. And these weren't just sitting around staring at each other. There was food and there was music and there mm -hmm. was joy. Sure. And these were ordained by God. He yeah. wanted them to, to celebrate and have fun and enjoy themselves. Sure. So certainly there were, you know, sacrificial days and, you know, mm -hmm. days of prayer and days of atonement, I think. But there was a lot of feast days as sure. well. well. Well said. There's a time, you know, it's like that, like, like that Ecclesiastes 3 thing. There's a, there's a season for each thing, a time for every thing. There, there are times when it, be still, you know, and know that I'm God. Like, there's a time for silence and some, that, that sometimes is connected to reverence. There's other times, like Psalm 42, I think it is, which says, clap your hands to the Lord, be reverent, show him reverence. Like, it's a parallelism. So, um, it, it, God's big, and there's a lot of things that are, are true about God, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, way of putting that, Greg. All right, um, so I, I'm going to say that this is about, this is my take on how to summarize this. Why did Jesus come into the world eating and drinking? Because he came to connect with people. Is that a fair way to put that? He could have just pronounced it from heaven in a, in a loud way that all of us could hear all over. The, he can do anything he wants. He's God. He could put a little chip in our heads. It could be just a data transfer. There's information, public service announcement, you're all going to hell, come to me and you won't. No, that's not what he does. He becomes a baby who grows up, learns a trade. It's very mundane. And isn't that kind of the point? The sacred is in the mundane. Heaven is coming to earth. It's like the most holy place writ large. In the new heavens, new earth, you don't even need a temple because God's everywhere in all the stuff. And Jesus is sort of a foreshadowing of that. I'm going to make the most mundane thing, eating food. Everybody does that every day. You're going, to, you're going to find the holy in that. I'm going to take you somewhere to that. That's a bridge to something bigger. All right? You've got to connect with people. We have to connect with people if we're going to be sent like Jesus. It's not just about, here, here's some information. That, that's not nothing. But we have to connect, too. If, if we're going to be sent like him, then we need to do that. All right. Um, we'll skip that one. A third one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead, John. I, I didn't see you. Sorry about that. Is it also true that Christ came to die, not to live? And it's equally as important, our death is more important than our birth is. And what's been happening with death mm -hmm. is imperative. And how we think that Christ is constantly talking about putting off the old body, putting on the new body, sure. generation, so and so forth. It is. I love you, John. Yeah, well, I mean, Paul says, we, he says, I die daily. And, you know, it's kind of another one of those paradoxes because death wasn't supposed to happen, but then God ends up using death to launch life like never before, you know? 
thinking of all the places like if a grain of wheat doesn't fall on the earth and die, it, you know, it won't live, and the resurrection, our resurrection. I mean, I was talking to Ty Sanders the other day, you know, who's really struggling. I have an announcement to make afterwards about a way we maybe can help him with blood donation. He got this big surgery he had to decide on, and, you know, he was extremely upset. And I just thought, I don't know if this is good or bad to say, but I just said, Ty, we're all going to be there with you, like, in from eternity's perspective and like a hot minute, you know? I'm, and at time may outlive me, but I'm just saying, you know, um, yeah, we die, Jesus died, but he died to live. So we're all gonna live. And that's, what, that's the end of the story, we're gonna live forever. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, and it's kind of, really, John, I don't know if you saw this coming, got a hold of my notes this week or something, but it kind of brings up this next point. Because the last Son of Man came statement is not, he, he says, I, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. There it is. To die as a ransom for many. Okay, this is the third one. So we've got, he came to rescue, he came to connect. What would you say this, how would you, how would you summarize this? If we're going to truly be sent like Jesus, what else do we have to be ready to accept? Servitude. What other words? Sacrifice. Self-sacrifice in view of serving other people. Not to be served. You ever notice a lot today how Christians sometimes in the public's quote-unquote Christians, I'm not commenting on what, what their standing is, and God, people who claim, claim Christ, the mantle of Christ, God, and all that. In the news, there's so much, I'm not getting enough attention. I'm not getting enough appreciation. Our tradition is not getting this, not getting, not getting, not, 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 not. Like we're ever going to take over the public square. In the first century, did that happen? No, Peter says, don't think it's strange when people abuse you. They abuse Jesus. You're a peculiar people. You're going to be odd. You, you didn't come to be served so that nobody ever makes you uncomfortable in your culture or society. That's a weird thing for a Christian to want. We even want it, but to think we're to expect and to have a tizzy fit when we don't have it. He says, he, here's how he was sent. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. How far did he take that? By giving his life as a ransom for others. Sacrifice, as some of y'all said. Sacrifice with a view to serving other people. Servitude, others said. All that captures this well. So let me raise this question. Why is willingness to sacrifice so important to sharing Christ? If we're trying to go on this rescue mission and, and say, hey, I can't rescue, but I know the one who can. And I'm trying to convey that, share that with people, with my neighbors, with my friends, with my relatives, with my coworkers, with my classmates or whoever. Why is this, this willingness to sacrifice myself, so important to that mission? Thoughts? Definitely painful. And it's not, if it's not painful, it's probably some sacrifice. Yeah, good point. yourself open to everyone. Yes, for sure. Appreciate that, John. And Don, and then uh, Daniel. Um, I was just going to say that the willing to, willingness to sacrifice shows, I guess, an authenticity and a, a, a genuineness because it shows that like, there's nothing that we gain by doing it, there's no selfish motive, or like we're trying to get something from the from from someone else, or 
pull the wool over us because there's nothing in it for us other than us dying to ourselves to give to someone else to try to share this message and, and show what it is. Great point. I mean, think of who doesn't have an angle, right? You read an article, you do, you do a Google search, and the first 10 hits have ad beside them. <laughs> like, okay. I guess that could be good information. Maybe not. You're trying to sell me something, so I don't know. And there's, everybody's got an angle. Everybody's got, you know, and you can get, and this can help me. You know, but Don's right. If you're just sacrificing, like, that's pretty unique. I'm here to give you something. Right? I don't, I don't, have any, and I don't get anything out of it other than the joy of seeing you, you know, accept something really awesome, just like I, I want to share that. That's it. Daniel? Just, I, I think the, um, you know, the, the whole sentiment from Philippians 2, you know, where Christ is self-emptying, you know, mm -hmm. we've said this here before, but Christ didn't, isn't our Savior in spite of the fact that he died. That, that's like, that is the thing, right? right. That, that he is Christ because he died, because right. he was emptied himself. It was like, none of this is important. None of this matters. So like, in, in so much as we are going to be like him, we've got to adapt that, adopt that same mentality. We've mm -hmm. got to be kenotic or have this kenosis, like self-emptying. Like it, it truly doesn't matter, even though it <laughs> runs counter to every, everything that is wired into us by the world around us, just give it up, right. uh, just as Christ did. No, that's a great point. It proves that he, and Nikki, Nikki's next there, Randy, or Nick. Yeah, it proves that we are his followers because that's, that's the signature move of the true God, to self-empty. That's the word kenosis he's referring to, in the, just in the original language. Uh, Nikki. I was just going to follow with just if anyone has seen social media recently at all, um, a lot of people my age in 20, 20-somethings 20 are posting a lot about don't settle, uh, get what you want. It's just this mentality of don't even accept. It, there was like something about don't even accept if your manicure is bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's such an accepted view mm -hmm. to put yourself first, mm -hmm. despite what anyone else would feel or how that make, mm -hmm. would make anyone else feel. So I think being sacrificial to yourself is, is important because it's so different. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're also called to be. It's just right. a part to yep. be different, to be holy. Mm -hmm. And it's probably the easiest way to stand out at this point because mm -hmm. the world is not sure. sacrificing themselves. Right. Yeah, I've seen some of that too, and I understand. You know, people they can be in abusive relationships or whatever, and they're not they're codependent. They don't see it. I, I get that there's a legitimate. I mean, what am I telling you? You, you, I got all this from Nikki. So, um, but you know, I, I've thought that too. Like, and it's just the latest iteration of human self-absorption. In the '70s, it was called the Me Generation. So they had different jargon, but it's like we're always that's our bent, right? Martin Luther, the reformer in the 16th century leader in the Protestant Reformation, called, he defined sin as, he, he called, it was, this is Latin, so don't, and I'll probably bot, botch the, the saying, but the pronunciation, it's homo um, incurvatus in se, man turned in on himself. That's what sin is. When you turn in on your, you like, you orient everything toward yourself. That's the essence of sin. And I think you can see that in Eve in the garden, you know, and Adam too. Who else had a comment or question? I thought I saw another hand. Okay. All right, um, one last question. What do you find more challenging? If, if it's a rescue mission and we need to, you know, go for it, we need to be intentional and committed and active 
And it takes both connecting with the people we want to teach and sacrificing for them. There's really no rescue mission if we're not willing to do both of those things. Which do some of y'all find more challenging, connecting with people or sacrificing yourself to serve them? There's no right, right or wrong answers. David said both. Yeah, that's the, the easy answer. I think, uh, <laughs> I think sacrifice. David said Jesus. <laughs> okay. I think Sorry, sacrificing guys. would be the one. Um, that's, that's a personal thing, right? Like I find connecting easier than sacrificing. Um, and sacrificing is because I think that, um, as I think Mickey kind of has alluded to, as you go through this life, you find yourself finding things that are important to you that you really, maybe you think you need it, you enjoy it. It's something that like every day you look forward to that thing. And those things can be okay. But then once you have to push that to the wayside or put something in front of that, I think it becomes difficult, especially when you started having, um, you know, things that you're used to getting in these ruts of things. So. Right. Good, good, good. Appreciate that. Don? Um, I was going to say, like, sometimes uh, in order to connect, you have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice your comfort level, um, how you think uh, things should should be. Mm -hmm. um, you have to put someone else uh, in front of yourself in order to connect with them mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we all come from different backgrounds and, uh, you know, different history. And that they're, they're kind of, like, intertwined because uh, it, it takes you – giving up yourself to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And if you're really going to connect with somebody, you need to give up some of your own uh, personal preferences or, or, or uh, levels of, or ideas of, you know, how this should, you know, how mm -hmm. something should be. Yeah. Yeah, flexibility can be one of the biggest sacrifices, especially for some temperaments. Right? May not be any big deal to you, but there may be somebody else who's, they're real sacrificial, but when it comes to like, ugh, connecting makes me have to get uncomfortable. That's, that actually is a sacrifice for me. You may love connecting with everybody, but don't really want to do it if it involves much sacrifice. You just want to hang out. You know, it's different temperaments, but how, how can we be engaged actively seeking and saving the lost in this rescue mission if we're not eating and drinking with the people we're trying to teach, if we're not connecting? We're not like Jesus if we don't do that. And how can we do it if we're not willing to not be served, but to, to, to serve, to seek to serve, and even to the point of giving our life as a ransom, like Jesus did. So as the Father has sent me, um, so I am sending you into the world. I want to close with this quote from this uh, fellow that we've, Jake and I have been using two or three of his books. He's, he's a missiologist, a fancy word for Bible scholar who focuses on mission. Uh, it's actually not a very fancy word, kind of a dumb word because it sounds like mission. Uh, <laughs> followers of Jesus are on a mission as he was. He was sent, and so are we. As the Father sent me into the world, so I send you into the world, he quotes. Discipleship is therefore, by definition, missional. We are, in short, on mission as soon as we submit our lives to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Do y'all think of it that way? Like, don't we often think of it as, I'm going to become a Christian, then we'll talk about what I'm going to do. What he's saying here, and I think with pretty much rock-solid biblical exegesis, is the minute you sign on with Jesus, the minute you become a Christian, the minute you become one of his followers, 
that, that's, I won't say it's everything, but it's a large part of what you are involved in. That's the Bible story. God came to rescue us, and he's calling us to, you know, to work in the world on his behalf as his image bearers and do the same thing he did. Christian means like Christ. Right? Disciple of Christ means follower of Christ, pupil, student, learner. So his argument here is the minute you submit your life to Christ, the minute you're baptized into Christ and, you, and you're put on, you put on Christ, you become part of his body, you are signing yourself up to mission. Um, Jake, do you have any thoughts? I, I feel like you've thought a lot more about this than a lot of us. Any, I'm not putting you on the spot if no. In, oh, okay, that's it. That's all you had. All my thoughts are out. Well, we got one more week. We got to do them. So, yeah. Um, yeah. We're going to review. I've seen that slide before? No. Um, all right. I appreciate y'all's uh, attention today. That's all I got for today. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about this a lot in the coming year because it's our theme. And hopefully, the class Jake and I've led been kind of a you know a, a primer. You know, kind of kind of prime the pump and get us thinking about it. We'll try to get real practical and talk about a lot of the implications of that and talk about how we can get our hearts more, especially that, more motivated to care, to have that compassion um, uh, as we think about the lost world around us that really needs rescuing, just like we do. All right, uh, if you're here and not a Christian and you want to become one, uh, what the Bible teaches on that is pretty, pretty simple. You have to have faith in Christ. You have to believe. And that should be confessed according to Romans 10, 9, and 10. We need to repent of our sins, which means you don't become perfect, but you, you're going that way, and you decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, and he's going that way, so I'm going to follow him. I'm, I'm going to turn. I'm going to change my thinking and my uh, attitude toward my sins and begin to, to uh, you know, follow the example and the teachings of Jesus. That's repentance. And then to be baptized, immersed in water for remission of sins, as Acts 2.38 many other passages teach. So I don't know how far along any of y'all are who might be visiting. We have a baptistry back here if you're ready to do that, if you want to set up a Bible study to talk about what the Lord wants of us. As Greg said earlier, we don't have all the answers, but we do believe they're in here, and we'll, we'll look for them with you. All right? If we can help you, pray for you, whatever it is, let us know by coming to one of these chairs in the interior circle as together we stand and sing.